0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm Tony Heil, council member in good old Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, which is in Montgomery County, the most important county in the country, or at least in Pennsylvania. Um, If you've listened to the podcast before, you know that I talk to people from all across the country at every level of government involvement. And that means at U.S. Senate, with Senator Bob Casey as a past episode, to county officers like Bethany Hallam from Allegheny County, to state representatives like Nicole Lowen from Hawaii, all the way to Anna Eskimani uh, in Florida, and Andy Josephson in Alaska. So big country, big ideas, every state. And I'm excited to talk to someone that's actually knocked doors for me here in Bridgeport, but he lives in Mississippi now. And he is teaching at Millsaps College. He's run running for office as well. Um, he's been v- involved in politics in one way or another for a very long time and has a depth of experience that few do. My friend, Dr. Nathan Schrader. So, uh, Nathan, thanks for coming on and talking to me today. It's about time we had a chat.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and look, I, I find it hard to believe that you were – just reelect. You just went through another a reelection, a primary. Yeah, because a primary. It, it feels like the one that we knock on, that I knock on doors with you on it. That just happened, and that was like in twenty.
0: It was eight years 13, ago. Yeah, eight years
1: Thirteen. Ago. Years. So it's. Uh, I, I. I. So I've been in Mississippi now for seven years, and it, it, it. That time has gone by very
0: quickly. Are you saying that you came to Bridgeport, and you're like, "That's it. I'm getting as far <laughs> away from here as possible. I'm going to Mississippi."
1: no no not quite it was a, an opportunity to teach at a, a small liberal arts college here uh, called millsaps which mm-hmm. is uh, the school closest to the state capitol uh, in in Mississippi where we get to do a lot of hands-on applied politics work with students as per as with the legislature city hall all the party offices and lobbying firms are all nearby so it's it's a really good it's been a really good experience. I just still cannot handle the uh, July, June, July, and August weather.
0: Yeah, I well, it's already getting hot. He, we had yeah. here, it was like 93 degrees, then 70 degrees, then 80, then 92. It's just been bouncing around here. Um, I think that's kind of a neat thing about teaching at a place like Millsaps where – your competition for things like that is different than it would be in Philly because yeah, there's like so many schools in Philadelphia, and the schools in like Ole Miss. You know, there's a lot of good reputation for schools and uh, colleges in Mississippi that too. But um, sure, you may have access to people that you'd have to fight for access in some other places.
1: Yeah, and and I taught when I lived in a Phil- in Philadelphia. I lived in East Kensington in Philadelphia for five years, and. Uh, worked at the Center on Regional Politics at Temple. Mm-hmm. But I also taught as an adjunct at Newman University out of Delaware County and, and at Drexel. And those were, out. I, I really liked the programs I was teaching in there, but, but given that where I am right now, so close to the state capitol, you know, our school is runs, uh, we launched and we run the only state politics polling, a quarterly polling operation in the state. The big schools aren't doing that because of just kind of, political concerns and having to balance that with they have to go to the state for their budget. You know, we don't. So we can pull some really politically sensitive issues and we become sort of the go-to on public opinion here, and, in part because of our access to all the yeah. lawmakers and the capital and the press corps.
0: It's interesting and also kind of sad about how the state of politics is because yeah. if someone did a poll here in, in general and they said that it like, – for our colleague, Villanova, which is you know down the road from where I am, if they did a poll, and they don't do polling as far as I know, but they did a poll that said that in Pennsylvania, um, it's really unfortunate, or, or they didn't say unfortunate, but they just said that 70% of Pennsylvanians approve of anti-transgender legislation. I wouldn't hate Villanova for that if it was a fairly done poll. Yeah. It's not. That's just what people responded to, and yet, because of the nature of politics, people will blame whoever even if it was that's just the facts of what they reported
1: look, we we get a little bit of fee- of of feedback like that from certain not so much from lawmakers cuz mm-hmm. one thing that is so gratifying when we we put out these quarterly polls is we we get gr- really good feedback from state lawmakers of so both parties telling us well, look maybe we don't agree with these findings or or what the public but we need to know what the people what the public is thinking whether or not that guides how we big policy or not we just need to know what they're thinking and but occasionally some you know blogs uh, you know there's a well-known kind of conservative blog here where we have found in deep red mississippi consistently somewhere between 60 and 65 percent of mississippians tell us they are favor medicaid expansion mm-hmm. and and so their reaction is well here's a uh, you know skewed a poll at a college that so because it's a college, it must be a skewed liberal poll. And we're like, no, 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 we can show you our, you know, we can show you our exact, the breakdown, the methodology. We use a weighted sample. We have to reflect for the conservative voters of the state and, and, you know, consistently showing that deep red Mississippi voters in large margins won Medicaid expansion. And then, but there is this like, and we've got a poll. We're in the field today with our summer quarterly poll. Mm-hmm. we're following up on Medicaid expansion. Um, so, uh, they're, they're, again, we sometimes hear that, oh, it's a college poll, so therefore it can't be, they have an agenda. Well, like our only agenda is to get information into the hands of the public and lawmakers is accurate. And that, But it is, you're right about that. That's the, just sort of the sad state of politics to some degree is questioning every motive possible.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting too, because the facts kind of lay out that Medicaid expansion is a relatively popular thing across – like uh, I talked yeah. to Jacob Rosecrans from Oklahoma State Rep, uh, Maggie Nuremberg from Missouri. Both states passed majority vote for Medicaid expansion. Neither of those are uh, liberal states by any stretch at this point. Um, and so it was very popular. And so the facts of people who voted um, prove it. And I, yeah. it, it seems – That's an issue that seems to me like there's no need for it to be partisan and yet everything needs to be partisan. Right. Right. So speaking of partisan, speaking of parties and speaking of politics, um, we all get into this at some point from a start. I always ask people, like, have you, did you grow up always being immersed in politics? Was there like some election or some person that kind of got you where you were interested in what was going on in political life, either around you or nationally?
1: Yeah, well, that, that's a really good question, and that's a, that's something I, I tend to, you know, I ask, I get my freshman intro to American government students sometimes. to talk about their because they all have different levels of interest or involvement in politics. Like, what was it that's, that? What are your agents of like socialization into politics, and mm-hmm. if you have any interest or engagement in politics? So I'm I'm always thinking about that with other people. I guess I'm not used to always answering about myself, but. I've been involved in politics in what you know directly since I was about fifteen, and I turn forty tomorrow. so that's uh, I guess I've got a few decades of campaigning and things under my belt here at this point. So uh, growing up in in Westmoreland County in North Huntington Township where I'm from, um, my grandfather passed away. Uh, he, my grandfather was uh, grandpa- grandmother and grandfather lived next door to us. And he passed away when I was about 13 or 14. Um, one, and He had worked for most of his career after World War II at, uh, at the Edgar Thompson Works plant for U.S. Steel. And uh, one of his friends from the steel mill was the town our township's Democratic Party chairman. Mm-hmm. And he lived down the street from us. And he, we would see him at church after you know, church on Sundays or just running into him. And he would know, say, you know— if you if you ever want to learn how politics works sort of you know on the on the on the front end of like how we campaign and how how who the candidates are I'll take you out and show you how that's done I think he sort of felt like that's something that my having worked with my grandfather and he would want he kind of think he would have maybe wanted me to Help this kid out and teach him something, uh, and so. But I had always been sort of interested in politics. My dad was involved in the teachers' union for a long time, and um, you know, just just uh, my and my my, was, my and my uncle had served as Pennsylvania's secretary of education, and so I had always been interested in politics since I was you know much younger. But I don't think I'd ever really thought of getting involved in it. And mm-hmm. then this neighbor of ours took me out to do things like knock on doors, register voters, and then eventually to meet candidates. And, and that's where I think it really kind of let, the switch went on for me is you realize these are the folks who actually are in positions to make decisions about what happens in the world. And even if it's at a local level, that's even more important. And I think that's maybe what got me, it got me hooked and convinced me I, I wanted to work in this field in some way for in my career.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting, me, oh, sorry, ahead, no, no, it's interesting to me. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, it's interesting to me because I came from a similar background. Because I'm from Allegheny County originally, and from uh, Northern Allegheny County, so it's only 40 minutes from there. So, uh, yeah. d- depending on how you drive, and um, like back then, or that kind of politics, especially in that area, like Democrats were active, and it was all like Democrats were working on that kind of working class grassroots issues. Union issues, and not that they're not now, but it seems like the the discussions and, and the divides are not as much focused on those things. In terms of you know where the energy is on social media, where people are arguing about this or that. And do you think it's like from your now vast experience? Do you think it's the just the nationalization of things because of media, just because of is this yeah. the natural inclination of where it's going? Are we doomed?
1: i don't think we're doomed but i i think that the discourse we're having now despite all the new at all the newer avenues to have more discourse we're not necessarily using it in a way that's the most productive yeah. and let me let me give you an example this probably if, if i had to pinpoint one person who helped me get into politics in every facet maybe more than government the government side and the electoral politics that it was the late uh, Catherine baker knoll mm-hmm. uh i met her when i was a junior in high school and with this when she was out of office she had served eight years as state treasurer um so this would have been in the late 90s and i met her at a campaign event when i was the west when i, I was on the i was the Westmoreland county volunteer coordinator in 1998 for the uh the ill-fated Ivan Itkin for governor campaign. And there's a name you probably mm-hmm. haven't heard, your listeners probably haven't heard mm-hmm. of ever or in a while, but he was the Democratic nominee in 98 against Tom Ridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, they did not have a big budget or staff. And here I was, a, I guess, a senior, junior or senior in high school, and they just tapped me to be the coordinator for the county. And that's, I guess, maybe when we should have realized that campaign was – Going to have some problems, or so there's a uh, you know unknown uh, high school student coordinating the effort. But I learned a hell of a lot from that, mm-hmm. and I met Catherine Baker Knoll in that process, and she took me under her wing. Um, she made an attempted comeback campaign in 2000 to run for her old job as state treasurer, narrowly lost to Barbara Hafer statewide. Right. And but it was in that campaign as she helped me get the experience hands-on that I hadn't had before. Where I was, she was sending me. I was a student at Teal College at the time. Anywhere up in Northwestern Pennsylvania, while I was in college there, I was her surrogate uh, at dinners, functions, public events. Or I got to go and either represent her or speak for her. That gave and I, I, that gave me a lot of t- opportunity to learn. You know become a better public speaker to become more comfortable in front of people and then when I was a senior and about to graduate from Teal College she ran for lieutenant governor Mm -hmm. and I was involved in that race uh, as uh, I think my unofficial title there because we were largely a volunteer operation was a deputy field coordinator and Every weekend after classes ended on Fridays, I would drive to McKee's Rocks where Mm -hmm. she lived and spend the weekend campaigning with her and drive back to college on Sunday night. So, you know, it just uh, that was that got me more practical experience, I think, than anything was possible. But she was somebody that was influential to me because of how she helped to rather than some older politicians. And she was in her early 70s at the time some older politicians of a different generation get a little nervous around younger
0: people Mm -hmm.
1: and they will hear that these kids want to come and take our positions and she had the opposite approach where she was, she saw herself as the mentor of that generate that up and coming generation, maybe because she didn't have that uh, when, when she was coming up in politics and she was really uh, phenomenal at that with mentoring young people coming up in politics. And so knowing her and getting to know her really helped me go from just understanding how to the grassroots game at the precinct level to understanding how a statewide campaign is put together, how candidates have to operate day to day, how field organizations work, and all of those important things.
0: You know, I've been telling someone else that one of the things I really liked that I got into politics is I was, not that I'm not awkward now, but I was... Even more shy and awkward before I got into politics, and when you work on a campaign, like they just tell you go knock on doors here's your list, and right. so you have to. And I did that in Iowa. I knew nobody, and yeah, it like it's been 20 years since my first campaign, and I still look back at it as I'm so glad I did that. Um, I don't know if I appreciated it at the time. Um, one of the people I campaigned with that was door knocking with me every day is now the press secretary, Jen Psaki. And others oh, have gone right. on, to, like others have gone on to do really big things for other candidates, like Sherrod Brown and um, and others across the country. Um, but you you realize, like, if you feel awkward about talking to people, you just have to be thrown into the water.
1: Oh, look, I, I couldn't agree more. And this is a, the two things that I think, I, as a as a kid, you know, thinking back to like junior high and early on in high school, I, I was definitely very shy person mm-hmm. and intro more introverted person but then two things happened i got involved in politics and i got involved in student congress mm-hmm. at, at norwood high school and you know when you're thrust into student congress debate competitions you you don't have much choice other than to you, you either sink or swim with that and and you know you have to learn how to become better, be more comfortable in, in, in front of an audience and how to handle those situations and couple that and combine that with, like you said, the knocking on a door of someone, you have no idea who they are and trying to converse with them. That, that brings you a long way in terms of just warming up to communicating with people.
0: Yeah. I remember knocking on a door in Iowa and it's again, 20 years later. And this guy who sees that, like I, we weren't even identifying who we were with because we were just trying to get information. So we were a little bit sly about it. And he starts railing about how much he hates the Democrat running for Congress. And, he wasn't saying anything too, too bad, but clearly I was, I was intimidated. It's a hundred degrees out and I'm walking past his house going, I'm in the, I, I don't have a car around here. This is terrible. I'm sweating. And he goes, Hey, you come back here. Go, oh God. And he says, you're hot. Here's some water. You need some water. Yeah. Like you right. never know what's, people are, everybody is kind of unique and no one, you can't really judge people as easily as you may think once you start talking to a lot of them. You know, that's so true.
1: And I think that's one of the things that helped me as I over the years have moved from you know, I, I lived in, I grew up outside of Pittsburgh, but mm-hmm. uh when Cat after Catherine Baker Noel was elected lieutenant governor, I worked as her deputy director of communications and mm-hmm. legislative aid in the Capitol and moved to Harrisburg and then ended up moving to Boston for graduate school, uh, at, at Suffolk University, then to worked in the Virginia legislature for three sessions and then to to, uh, Philadelphia to my PhD work and I've never felt like I've always felt like I can uh, I can fit in or adapt very well you know in, in where I live and if I move places like now picking up and moving seven years ago to Mississippi in part because of some of those like skills you develop in communicating and getting to know people through involvement in politics That helps, I think, when you pick up and move somewhere, either uh, for work or for whatever reason you do that, you can become a little, it's easier to be kind of immersed, immerse yourself in what's going on around you because of that.
0: So that brings me to something I didn't ask you when I was emailing you back and forth. Um, You have some experience working with or being immersed in the politics of Western Pennsylvania, um, Philadelphia, which are like almost two different states in some ways. Yeah, Um, yes boston virginia and mississippi people now look at everything and be and they will say all either all those places are the same or are are different or um there's democratic areas and republican areas that's not like what is the same that you see like and have have things changed a lot Uh, things have changed a lot since you started but what what do you see as kind of similarities that maybe people can learn where you can say look i've talked to all these places and this is what you need to take from that.
1: Well, let me let me start out by saying this. And this is not saying that I it's I like this place and I I've actually enjoyed most of the places I've lived. If if you if your listeners have never door knocked and canvassed in Philadelphia neighborhoods, they need to do it. Yeah. Because something I learned and that I will always appreciate the most about Philadelphia voters Well, first of all, because of the row house situation, you can see a lot of voters in one day, whereas down here in Mississippi and you're out canvassing, even in the cities, people are a little more spread out. Mm -hmm. But the thing I will always respect most about Philadelphia voters, they will tell you what they think about your candidate, about you, Mm -hmm. about anything, where some other places I believe voters are much more guarded. I was I was the uh, 31st ward captain for Tom Wolf's campaign in 2014 in East Kensington. That was mm-hmm. the last thing I did in Pennsylvania politics before I moved south. And you know, I went from a one being at one guy's door to telling how much Tom Wolf sucked and he would never <laughs> vote for Tom Wolf ever in any circumstances to I had another. His neighbor saw that my, a Tom Wolf t shirt that I had on. He started howling at me, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what the heck this is all about. And he's like, he's howling at me because the shirt says Wolf, and he loved the guy, and he wanted yard signs. Yeah, and he wanted, you know. But it's like. Philadelphia voters are different. Yeah. That's one thing that's different. I just have to put that out there. Yeah, I've, done, I've knocked on doors so, in Center City and yeah, other places in Philly. They're so open about, mm-hmm. and, and I, I appreciate the openness. Mm-hmm. Tell me if you hate the candidate. Tell me that, like, then, nah, then I nah, can, nah, can
0: nah. avoid going to your door and tell everyone, "Don't go talk <laughs> to Bob."
1: But they're 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 brutally honest, and I, that's what I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, the, the 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 thing that I I do think that. that I can say is a common thread between all those places and I've campaigned in all those places. And mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania politics, I've campaigned, in I think it's 54, 55 of the 67 counties. And something I can tell you is that voters everywhere have one, there's one thing that has not changed and is overlapping everywhere I've been in politics. Voters want to be asked for their vote. Yes. They, so whether or not, even if you're knocking on their door, and they may not intend to vote for your candidate, they still
0: want you to ask them for the vote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that doesn't, it, or
1: conversely, if they're on the fence, and what candidate A spends no time in person trying to convince them, and candidate B does, it makes a huge impact for that volunteer or friend or, or precinct captain or whatever, you have to show up. And But no matter where I've been, the thing that is consistent, voters want you to show up. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's something I think we all need to remember is that campaigns become increasingly digital mm-hmm. and they become, in, in, in some respects, and, then, and of course, we can have to blame some of this on COVID, become more remote yeah. and abstract. It's still that knock on the door. It's still that, that personal connection that is going to be important to people no matter where they are.
0: Yeah, I have... I, when I ran in 2013 the when you came, before you came out to no, no, knock for me that one day uh, I had a number of people who said you know the guy who's on council never knocked on my door and you did so I'm gonna yeah. like do you want to know anything about that's it all right great like that was all it took and on the flip side pe- so people noticed that I came or have attended yes. other things. And then when I haven't attended something for one reason, people notice that, which is fine. It's a criticism that I deserve at that time. But Or um, they notice when other people haven't attended things. Like we have our Memorial Day service and everyone like, – I just stand there. There's nothing else for me to do but stand there. But people notice that you show up or they notice that, oh, that person um, never comes. And like that's something you can't replicate. It also doesn't cost a lot. <laughs>
1: Oh, right. No, no, no. Exactly. And, and I believe you had on as a guest in 2019, is Shonda Gates.
0: Yeah, she was impressive. So smart and, and would be a great person in office in any state.
1: And we were fortunate enough and I I, I, I uh, got to vote for her. She's my state representative mm-hmm. now. One of the things that she will tell you, and now that her, you interviewed her, I think, during her campaign, something she could she would... I no, I
0: interviewed was, her right after the campaign. So right after. Had, yeah. Okay
1: she will talk to anyone who will listen about the value of the candidate showing up at mm-hmm. people's houses because, mm-hmm. you know, the mailing, the mailings and the radio ads and things, they are helpful that all of that is supplemented by that candidate and their presence mm-hmm. at, at, in the neighborhood. And that was the thing I think that put her over the top was that her opponent was, her Republican opponent was not necessarily a an ultra-conservative Republican.
0: Right, that's what she said. Uh,
1: nor was he a bad person in mm-hmm. any way. It was just he had been in office for decades, and he had not knocked on doors. He is not visible. He stopped kind of returning constituent calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I knew that in person, at, as a, at one of his constituents had reached out to him for the last couple of sessions and had never heard a word from him. Mm-hmm. So it's, and she, she just, So She happened to just her being at people's doors contract was a sharp contrast because they'll say, well, wait a minute, he's been there for decades and we haven't seen him in 10 years. You know, it's, it, it it made a big difference for her. And that's just a example of just being there and and showing your face in, in a neighborhood or in the community.
0: And that's Uh, great for party building too. Like if you're able to recruit candidates, Democrat or Republican, and you're in every ward, like my district is basically just a ward. But that's in a lot yep. of places. Every place has a ward person. So yep. I knock doors every spring and every fall. And I – so people see me regularly doing that even if it's not for myself. And now a lot of people, they, they recognize me when they see me even and I, even though I don't recognize them because I haven't seen their face in a year. So I've had people say, I'm Steve down the street. Like, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I know <laughs> right. Um, but you know, that's something that's not that hard to do in a lot of places. No, granted, the no. bigger area is harder, but the more people you have spread out in wards and precincts and things, the easier it is for your party, whatever party that is.
1: Yeah, and, and look, I, I one of the things that I'm the most proud of is you know I, I've got a PhD and teach political science and I, I've done all this stuff, but the title and the thing I'm the I'm still the, the most proud of is I'm the precinct captain for the 34th precinct in board one of the city of Jackson. Like, mm-hmm. that's still the thing I've, I I think is the, the, the most important of all the things that I do on a regular basis. I take, have the voter registration forms in my car and with me at all times and, you know, have the, the candidate materials with me at all times when I'm t- out talking to people. And I do what you're saying. I'm out in the primary and the general election, mm-hmm. knocking on doors every time. And, you know, this is a precinct that voted roughly – both times, just in the ballpark of sixty five percent for Donald Trump, mm-hmm. and it's maybe one of the, the the two most Republican heavy precincts in the city. But there are, but you see the effect of it, and this kind of gets maybe to your one of your early questions about how things have changed. Well, I can say there is still the, the voter out there who will vote based on the candidate and not necessarily just straight party line because in this precinct i've seen it where where they'll maybe vote for the republican candidate for the us senate and governor and president but they'll drop down and if they've been given some information about the democratic candidate for judge or attorney general or state legislator they'll do they'll vote for them but you have to you have to put them on their radar they won't do it in a vacuum with no information right but they'll do it if they have something to base a decision on
0: yeah so Speaking of all the things you're doing, we've gone all this time, and we haven't talked about the fact that you are in the ballot this year, right?
1: Yes, I'm so, I, well,
0: yes. So tell uh, me about that. What What have you been running for? What's that experience been like doing that?
1: All right, well, let me explain. This is, a, this is something that I have found very unique to Mississippi. Mississippi has lots of things unique to Mississippi in terms of politics, but mm-hmm. this is one of them. Um, in the state of Mississippi, there are these... Constitutional or state state legal offices in the state election code called the uh, municipal executive committees, and these exist in any town. What would be in Pennsylvania, to get the equivalent of a town, a borough, or a city. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and what what under state law, uh, the Democratic and the Republican parties cannot operate party primaries without a seated. Municipal executive committee. The reason this is such a fascinating thing is because it's like a quasi-governmental position. It's like fifty percent party, fifty percent governmental. Because the they, if you're elected, is you're elected by your party. So, mm-hmm. for example, in the city of Jackson, we have seven city council districts. We are entitled to each party is entitled to a seat, seven seats on the Republican. Municipal Executive Committee and seven seats on the Democratic Municipal Executive Committee. Under state law, the parties cannot legally operate a primary at all without this being seated. And it's a really strange thing in the law. I've never seen this anywhere else. So if you don't have people run and serve on these, your party could be in jeopardy of not being able to place candidates on the ballot, which again is a whole other animal compared to how Neatly, this is run in places like <laughs> Pennsylvania. Now, uh, this the office is up every four years. It's an unpaid position, um, and it, like I said, in the city where I live, even though our city's the the biggest in the state, mm-hmm. there's another city, you know, a city called Clinton. It's a much smaller city. That's Near us mm-hmm. they have the same number of positions it doesn't it's not so much about the size. It, it's, it's you have to legally have this board seated to operate primaries and so i decided to run for this first in 2017 after talking with our county uh, county party chair who had said well this, this position doesn't get much attention but we need people who understand elections to actually try to serve on that and so i ran and uh, it turned out we had seven people, I believe was run for seven seats. So we didn't actually, we didn't have much of a contested election.
0: That's good. Good for you.
1: Uh, well, well and, and so this time I wasn't going to run again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had done my four year I was, I, I've been secretary of the board for the last, for this term, um, you know, and I was just figuring it was time to let someone else do it. Uh, then again, I, what changed my mind and I, I hope this doesn't sound, corny but watching the neo-fascist storm the u.s capitol on january 6th Mm -hmm. is when and this was still during the what we call the qualifying period here in mississippi was still open and i hadn't filed yet right as i'm sitting there watching the neo-fascist storm the u.s capitol i said i know that that is not reflective of of, at all the viewpoints of the people of the city of jackson but i'm like I think I need to run again because people who have an ability to, to do a job like this have to step, step, step up and do it. <laughs> it just as a counterbalance to what we're seeing on that day, and that that was why I decided to do it again. And I filed the next day, and, uh, or, or yeah, I believe it was the day after, January the mm-hmm. 7th, and um, we don't have petitions here in Mississippi, if you're wondering. It's one of the most glorious things about Mississippi politics. There's no petition. So how do you get
0: on the ballot? How do people have you your show name? up
1: you show up at City Hall and sign the registry?
0: <laughs>
1: wow. So it's beautiful. It is the most fantastic thing I, about Mississippi politics, unless you're an independent. Independents have to collect a very nominal number of signatures. But if you're running in one of the parties, you don't. And it's Glorious. And so I, it was a pro, the whole process to become a candidate here takes about three minutes. And uh, so I, so what the what I what the position was this time, I figured because of all the excitement in politics, there were going to be a lot of people run for these seven seats. Mm-hmm. I was actually hoping a lot of people would run, even if it meant that I had to go campaign or I might right. not win. But at the end of the day, again, seven people filed for seven seats. Mm-hmm. So I, but I had already decided whether I had competition or not. I was going to go campaign. Uh, I had, you know, push cards, palm cards, uh, buttons, things like that. That, and I, I door knocked in precincts that I know tended to be um, high turnout precincts. Because the city, is the largest city in the state, and you're kind of like one person. You can't be everywhere. So I picked some precincts that I wanted to target. They just tend to vote in higher poor shares in city elections mm-hmm. and the most often question, asked question was what is this job right <laughs> I found out most people had no idea this existed they' had just always been on their ballot but they've never ever even noticed it or thought about it and, and that was kind of interesting you have to kind of explain the 30 second pitch is the what is this and what does it do?
0: I think, you know, so it's interesting in a couple ways, because as you talk about it, it one, it kind of shows that people need to pay attention and make sure that every seat, every kind of elected thing is contested, yes. that that you are involved in from, from something like that to constable, like, we didn't have a constable running, so we're like, let's write in our friend Ben, because why not? Um, right. And also, people are more transitory now than they were when you and I first got involved in things. So, like, there's... I was talking to someone from Idaho last year on the podcast and they're like, it's gorgeous here. You can work remotely for almost any job. There's no reason to, there's no reason to stay stable if you want to be anywhere else because you can, you can do your work anywhere. So, you know, it doesn't mean that people are idiots. People, no one knows all the mechanics of local government when they move there. They assume it was like it where they were. So there's a lot of education that has to continue to go on.
1: Yeah, and and that's something I would say is important for all of your listeners is to make sure you take a look at it. a great example in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Most counties, I think, all but there might be two or three that under with the home rule charters that don't do this anywhere elect you know the county row offices. prothonotary right. being my favorite.
0: And, and our prothonotary, Noam Marlier, has been on my podcast multiple times.
1: Is that <laughs> right? Okay. Well, and the reason I bring up prothonotary is, first of all, I find most people have a hard time spelling it or understanding what mm-hmm. it is. And I and that's understandable because it's just that it it's not the most visible position there is. But uh, it's a position where when I was in college, I worked uh, summer and winter breaks in the county recorder of deeds office, and the office across the hall was prothonotary's office, and it was one an exceptionally well-run office in Westmoreland County under a really good guy had been a former labor organizer mm-hmm. named Ron Deal. And it was a, what, what I learned from that experience was that that office isn't, a, they're not making policy, but what mm-hmm. they're doing is making sure that government is effectively administered. Right. Know, people's paperwork is filed in a timely manner and it's, legal documents are accessible to the public and the lawyers and if it's not done well it slows down the courts the judicial process. So
0: And that can you know, be really important for my conversation with Arpathecary for women who are victims of abuse um, yes. you know for child <laughs> endangerment laws especially during the pandemic right now where people were you know worried like you know getting things done so you know the justice system works for you.
1: Yeah and and that office uh, again I got to uh, I learned a heck of a lot from working. I accumulated, I think, like 20 months of service mm-hmm. in, over like my college years working in the Recorder of Deeds office mm-hmm. uh, in the summers and winters. I learned about what all those county offices do. And among some people in the public, there's this perception, well, they don't do anything. They just sit around there. And then you realize if you work there for a day, you realize mm-hmm. that's what 100% false. Mm-hmm. Um, and now my old the person who helped, Helped me get my first job in government. Uh, Tom Murphy was the name of our re- not related to the mayor of Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And he was the rec- the recorder of deeds who helped me get my first job in government, local government. He's now running for prothonotary in that county. That's what, why that was on my mind. Is like this is a guy who's not a policy maker per se, but he's a, an administrator, and and but it's hard for voters to understand why they need to care about that. It is immensely important.
0: And I think as politics gets nationalized, which is on, is on the one hand, unfortunate, on the other hand, maybe sometimes it works. But if you have one party that says that government should work and another party that says burn it all down, uh, regardless of what happens, for positions like um, council, like me, like prothonotary, people who are there to to run the gears of government for people, you don't want people whose ideology is government should not exist because like you would want to hire someone to be the floor manager at a Ford factory who says, you know what? We should get rid of cars. That's, (laughs) and if you don't want cars, that's fine. Like that's your thing, but you shouldn't run the Ford floor factory. No, you should run. Something else, but you're not going to be good at building Ford cars if you think that well, we can have Ford.
1: <laughs> Tony, the reason I'm laughing at this is there was an incident. Uh, not, I mean, I shouldn't call it an incident. There was a moment a year or two ago, a year ago, I'd say, where because on our on a faculty of any college, we we're also nominated for you know committees within the college.
0: And mm-hmm. there's
1: one particular committee that I have long argued since I've been there should be abolished because mm-hmm. I, I just don't think it's necessary. And my name was put in for nomination. I, I declined that some of the people in the room were shocked that I declined it. They're like, you'd be good. And I said, it would be like electing, you know, a, a, uh, someone who doesn't believe that there needs to be any central government to run the central government. It just doesn't, like, I just don't believe the committee mm-hmm. needs to be there. Mm-hmm. So you probably want someone who's actually, Wants to invest in the committee
0: to do it, and if that's your feeling, if you because there are a lot of things in government that are outdated, you know, like yeah. if you had the uh, get the British out of the Capitol <laughs> committee, like well, that was two hundred years ago. We could probably move past it, now. like, but there are there are things that if they exist, they exist for a reason, yeah. and the people in them should be people that believe in those in government working and we have that issue yeah. now where in pennsylvania we elect row offices even statewide and we had an amazing state treasurer and joe torcella who lost yes. his election and you can be a republican and believe that this is a good office you could be a democrat and believe there's a good office but the person who beat him is more of an ideologue who's not going to carry on the same traditions he did and it's unfortunate because people didn't pay attention to how valuable that position is
1: yeah, and I'll tell you about uh, it, Joe Torcella has long been in my mind one of the most impressive people I've met in politics. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, uh, just just I'll tell you, if Joe Tur- Joe Torcella is who I was hoping would eventually be the governor of Pennsylvania. Yeah, uh, I, I don't. I guess now I don't know if he's still thinking about running in the future. I, he hasn't talked but, to me.
0: He, if he's going but, to, he should come on my podcast first. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but but, but, but if, I hate I hated to see him lose because I think he had the potential to really he was someone who could speak very fluently about the value of public service. yeah, And, and, and because of all the different things he had done. And uh, yeah, for him to lose kind of to someone who was just kind of running just an ideological, just to be part of the ideological warfare was not necessarily good for Pennsylvania.
0: Yeah, it's and, and that's not always the case, but as politics get nationalized, it might become the case more and more.
1: Well, and that, that's what concerns me so much about the Republican party right now. And now I look back to like, I, 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 in, I was an intern on Capitol Hill, my junior year in college, fall of my junior year for, in Arlen Specter's office.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I look back at just, you know, that there were Republicans like Arlen Specter in a state like Pennsylvania. What like, I, I campaigned hard in multiple elections when I lived in Philadelphia for Al Schmidt,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Good I guy. Am one of the, the, the finest elected officials I've ever met, mm-hmm. uh, and most dedicated elected officials I've ever met, and but there are the Republican Party, sadly has turned into. And look, I, I, there John Rafferty was another out of Montgomery County, mm-hmm. uh, former state senator. When I worked as lieutenant governor's aide uh, in Harrisburg, I found him to be one of the the, the most impressive state legislators mm-hmm. I ever encountered. And it was not about party at all. It was about for him. He, he was really about. Policy and talking to people about issues and getting the, and learning policy. And, you know, they're just the republic Thomas Mann and Norm Ornstein noted back in 2012 in The Washington Post and they're two pretty well-respected political scientists, each on, one on the right, one on the left, one on the left politically, that the Republican Party had become, what did they, I believe they called it a, uh, a an obstructive outlier in American politics or I something. That was 2012. And you compare that to now where it is – I hate to say this about a party because there are so many people, friends and relatives of mine who are members of it. They just cannot point to anything truly productive to say that they've done on behalf of the public. And the whole point seems to be to do what you were saying earlier, just to obstruct or to, 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 to
0: burn, burn it down, down yeah. as
1: much as possible. And that's I'm not trying to sound overly partisan here. It's just very unfortunate to see
0: well, this. Well, and you said about, like, again, while well, I disagree, if your thing is that we need less government, which, and sometimes we do, like, if that's your yeah, just calm thing, that's one thing. But Al Schmidt, who you discussed, he ran the election very well in Philadelphia, Republican, yeah. and he got death threats, Not not one crazy guy, like multiple, for not, you know, espousing conspiracy theories to help Donald Trump. Like, that's a scary direction. And you mentioned John Rafferty, um, and there are, I think there are good people in the Harrisburg, in the legislature in Harrisburg, from both parties. I think that's true in almost any state. Um, I I don't know about Hawaii, where they have Water Republican. I don't know that guy, (laughs) But... but, um, But, you know, in all seriousness, like, if you're worried about the rise of the power of very fringe Republicans, the only way you can keep them from having actual power in the gears of government is for Democrats to win majorities. And the only way Democrats can win majorities is to defeat people like John Rafferty, who you would like to be in charge of the Republican Party. So it's a weird conundrum because we know some people who are very fringe in Pennsylvania. I'm not going to mention names. They're going to win. They're not going to yeah. lose. They don't even have an opponent. They're going to win 80% of the vote if they do have an opponent. Um, and it's – I don't know how you fix that. We're not going to solve that in the next two minutes on this podcast. But that <laughs> well, that's the direction, right? Like Democrats yeah. to win are going to win these swingy seats. Republicans are going to win those deep red seats. And the deep red seats are going to elect the people who support the insurrection.
1: Yeah, and Tony, there, there is something that I never thought I'd say, and I caught myself saying this to my father. My parents still live in Western Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I was talking to my dad recently about this, and I, I, said, I never thought it would be at a point where I'd say that Pennsylvania was much better off with uh, John Purcell, Bill DeWeese, Vince Fumo, and. Uh, Company running the legislature because things actually, but maybe again that was just a different era, right? Mm -hmm. Where there were the 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 people who were running in those parties at a different set of objectives. But I think right now in Pennsylvania, especially, uh, it's become far the legislature and the capital, as you said, it's become far more nationalized and far more ideological.
0: And from my understand, and I know a lot of the people who are kind of in the leadership there, they're not necessarily. they're not necessarily bad people who the, it's just that they have this big tail that's wagging the dog Yeah, and they, they know it. And I mean, there was a story in December where the Republican state leader um, in the Senate said that she was afraid of getting bomb threats at her house for not right. Right. And while on the one hand, you want them to step up and be heroes. On the other hand, as you as a person, what would you do if you're afraid that your family's going to get bombed?
1: Right. Right. And and I know that individual pretty well, and I believe I absolutely believe when they what that that happened mm-hmm. when they, when they there, there was no doubt in my mind
0: that, that yeah happened. I believe you and and yeah she's and I don't think she's a bad person yeah.
1: no, I, no I think, not at all I think in uh, fact the person we're talking about I have longed one of the, the, the most effective political uh, strat has one of the most effective electoral strategic minds of anyone I've ever mm-hmm. met in Pennsylvania. And, and I mean that that just that if you, I knew her, this Senator Kim Kim Ward is the mm-hmm. senator is more so through electoral politics than the legislature. But I can tell you that as a person, uh, that Kim Ward, who it was one of the most impressive electoral political minds I've ever met. Yeah. And, and but this they, they that kind of legislator still has to survive in the modern realities of their
0: party. And and as moderate or progressive or any other voter who doesn't agree we would rather have someone like her leading that party than someone yeah. else who is you know an insurrection who yeah. is actually at the insurrection like we do have in pennsylvania yeah now with that sad note in mind i want to end on a hopeful note um uh-huh. what makes you feel optimistic and why would you encourage other people to run in 2021 and beyond
1: well i, I would tell you that, that- the, reason, the, the chief reason why you, if you're listening to this or know people who are thinking about running, the reason you should consider it, whether or not you actually do it, because it, it's a huge commitment. is right. As Tony knows, that it's because if you don't do that job or you're not willing to stand up and do it, somebody else will. Mm-hmm. And you don't know that. that person's motivations. You don't necessarily know their qualifications or their competence, And if you are somebody, this is where I'm going to make my kind of civic-minded, patriotic pitch for this. Um, If you are, one of the things I think we owe back to our country, our state, our county, our town, our city, is that if we individually have the knowledge or ability to do a certain job in politics, or if maybe we don't have the knowledge, we just want to do it well and learn how to do it, I think we have an obligation to stand up and step forward and Put our names on the ballot and to try that, yeah. uh, if 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 we think if we honestly think we can do that job and do it well, that I, and and let me just I'll tie in something with Mississippi. Since I'm in Mississippi. Yeah. uh Just a point about uh, to that, and I don't want to make you run over Tony. But oh, it's fine. Um, you know there. One of the things I've learned most is I've learned two things in the last seven years in Mississippi politics since I've moved here first is I, I, I've, I've learned, other I've than being extremely cognizant of the effects of racism mm-hmm. on, in public policy and on the public body, I've not ever seen it in you know, actually the effects of it as blatantly as I have since living here. Mm. That's one thing. And so I think where I live, there's an impetus for people who are, want to create a more just society need to come forward and run yeah and so that's that's maybe just very very geographic specific, geographically specific for me but there's a point that I'll never forget one of the first uh, in 2015 not long after I moved here uh, I was at Bernie Sanders did his pre-presidential election tour through the south in the spring of 2015 and I went out to see him at the IBEW headquarters here at Jackson on the outskirts of town and there are the, the Democratic Party chair at the time was a gentleman named Ricky Cole, who I think is probably one of my favorite. Uh, he's a, as I call him, farmer political philosopher party chairs.
0: Yeah, you were trying society. to get him to talk on my podcast before. Yeah. Hopefully, we can. And, and,
1: and he later ran for AG commissioner uh, two years ago. But Ricky Cole stood up at the Bernie Sanders Q and A thing and introduced himself as the state chair and a, mm-hmm. like a career, lifelong farmer, eighth generation Mississippian. and he had he had asked said the senator Sanders, senator, just remember as you leave here and go back to campaign in other places that Mississippi, unlike other states, you know, in the country, uh, we've only been a functional democracy for about fifty years. If you think about, you mm-hmm. know, just ha- how long it took this state to get to the point of where the other states were, with who could participate, who could run, who could yeah. serve, and it was kind of his reminder that. Not every state uh, people uh, have the same experience with mm-hmm. politics. And, and I thought that was a really good reminder Yeah, that, that st- every state's going to be a little different. And the motivations for running to help, we're still building a, a, pr- a democratic process here in this state because it's newer to, unfortunately, sadly, it's newer than it is in a place like Pennsylvania.
0: Well, and, and in every state, almost, it seems, including Pennsylvania, there are threats to those that access to democracy obviously you no know, things in mississippi but in lots of states where yeah. rollbacks to, to voting yeah. or hindrances who can vote um democracy is both a participatory uh, sport but also something that has to constantly be defended or someone will take yeah. it away yeah well nathan i really appreciate it and maybe we could talk again sometime i would talk to you for the next three hours but i my, <laughs> my computer only will allow me so long um if people are listening and they want to follow you, is there a way that they can follow you online or, like, go to our website or something?
1: Yeah. I, I have a, a blog that I don't use very often, so I, I would recommend either finding me on, on Twitter or mm-hmm. Facebook or both Nathan R. Schrader.
0: Great. I appreciate it. You guys won't be disappointed following Nathan. He's one of my favorite people in politics. Um, his astuteness is rarely wrong, um, and I think that you would learn a lot. Um Please listen to Nathan. Please subscribe to the podcast and read it. And uh, just like we said, if you don't run, someone else will. So maybe you should run for office. Absolutely. Thank you.